Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Marina Walsh, Vice President of Industry Analysis at the Mortgage Bankers Association, to talk about the mortgage market update for the rest of this year and into 2024. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire, with Ryan Marshall, CEO and founder of Equity Protect, to talk about a very specific and growing kind of fraud risk. Ryan, what is deed fraud? In today's landscape, scammers follow a series of steps, often by obtaining a list of properties without mortgages and are frequently non-owner occupied from industry providers like Title Toolbox or Title 365. They then delve a little deeper, identifying properties with recently recorded grantor-grantee deeds where the notary stamp is still valid. They'll take the deed, they'll modify the deed in a electronic uh, format, something like Adobe Pro. They'll change the ownership details to their own. They'll add a fictitious escrow number. They'll modify the recording request to appear legitimate. And then they'll make slight alterations to the return address, making sure that that title company or the proposed uh, title company never sees a copy of it. They then carefully refine the copy to make sure that it resembles an original document. And then they simply submit it to an online service provider or they physically walk it into a county recorder's office. The next step is the scammer will visit a local bank with uh, lax security measures in place. They assume a false identity. They apply for a loan, patiently wait a three-day rescission period, deposit the money into an account that's often held for five to seven days. They'll withdraw it and then they vanish without a trace. Ryan, thanks for letting us know about that. Listeners, you can find out more information about deed fraud and how to prevent it at equityprotect.com. Marina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sarah. Great to be here. Great to have you here. We are, of course, recording this during NBA Annual here in Philadelphia. It's been an amazing conference so far. And, you know, you were on stage yesterday giving the market update, which is always something that, you know, people really want to hear, but especially maybe this year. It's uh, super important. So I'd love to go over some of those things. Sure. Happy to do so. Yes, it's been quite a challenge in in terms of rates, in terms of originations volume and lender performance overall. So happy to dive in. There are some silver linings. So that's always good to know. That is great (laughs) to hear. Let's start with origination volume. Yeah. Uh, origination volume, it's it's really, really tough right now. Um, you're talking about $1.7 trillion about is what we're looking at for 2023. And so in 2024, we're thinking that that's probably going to go up by about 19% uh, to, to around $1.95 trillion, um, and then a further 16%. Uh, to 2.25 trillion in 2025. Now that's all in dollar volume. And one thing that we've started to do and, and we've gotten requests from our members is really to look at units rather than dollar volume because loan balances have gone up uh, so tremendously because of this housing inventory shortage and because of just general home price appreciation. So we're really looking at things in units. And part of the reason that 
mortgage lenders are feeling so much pain right now is we are at incredibly low levels of originations uh, based on units. And so when you think about that in 2023, we were at about uh, uh, 4.36 million in, in units overall. That is the lowest level. If you go back to when we started to track units back in the turn of the century around 2002, that's the lowest we've ever been. And so that's part of the issue is on a unit basis, how low originations volume is. And we do see that picking up to 19% next year. So that should be a little bit better. Um, and then a further uh, 15% to 5.93 million in 2025. So 2023, uh, kind of grit your teeth and get through. 2024 should be better. 2025. If we can look that far in our crystal ball. I know what we're hearing is the theme survive till 25, right? That's the, that's the theme. <laughs> survive till 25. Wow. Okay. So one of the reasons that we have such low, um, purchase, you know, uh, purchase loans is that there's just not a lot of inventory. Of course, we're going to get to the, the rate challenge, but talk mm-hmm. about inventory for a little bit. Uh, yeah. In, in, in terms of, um, overall supplies that were demand side. We certainly have demand. I mean, when you think about uh, the number of individuals in that home buying age, we usually use around 30 to 40 um, in in terms of age, uh, you know, 50 million potential. So there's definitely a a lot of demand. um, But the issue is, is there really isn't a lot of supply. And what we're seeing is that, those lenders that are attached to builders or uh, and new homes is really taking up a big part of the housing inventory right now. Almost a third of the housing inventory available is for new home sales, you know, new homes. Um, so that's really where it's at. Existing homeowners who are sitting on mortgage rates of 2.5% or 3% don't want to move. I always use the example of my 85-year-old mother who is not moving out of her house. Does does she need four bedrooms and two and a half baths? Probably not. But, you know, again, uh, it's a situation of where do you move to? So the potential move-up buyer may not be moving. At the same time, that presents some opportunities in terms of uh, home equity extraction, for sure. I mean, altogether, there's $32 trillion of uh, potential home equity extraction. Now, that includes those own a home outright, as well as those that uh, have a mortgage on their home. But there's plenty of opportunity there, uh, you know, potential cash out opportunities. But again, that leads to the rate problem right now, that rates are basically high overall, whether you're looking at short-term rates or, or, or uh, longer-term rates, um, just uh, much higher rates, which does is not conducive to any type of credit. <laughs> it's, it's really not, especially because um, home prices haven't adjusted to really make up the difference in affordability, right? So normally, you have rising interest rates, you have a, a, you know, at least some, some falling off in the home prices, but we saw home prices go up so much and they really have either 
moderated. They're holding steady. In some places, they're still increasing. Like the growth of the home prices has slowed, but it's still growing. There are some very particular markets where, you know, home prices are starting to fall, but nothing close to like what we would typically see. Absolutely. I mean, we're certainly not seeing those high teen home price appreciations nationally that we were seeing three years ago. Um, But at the same time, there was a point last year where uh, some economists were saying, oh, well, we're, we're going to get into the negative. You know, we're going to have some sort of depreciation. You could have a situation where in certain pockets, homeowners were underwater. But then we got the latest data and that was just a blip. And we saw home price appreciation continue, redid our for We were on the conservative end. Um, in terms of that. So we were much more flat in terms of home price appreciation. And and sure enough, that's probably where we're going to be is basically flat to even slightly up um, just because of these really strong demographics. Um, and so that that was a little bit of a surprise. But whenever we talk about the National home price appreciation is so important to understand that the United States is a very big place and each individual, you, you can't even look at it at the state level. You know, e- each individual pocket, geographic pocket has a different story to tell. And I think that that is part of that's the key to the success of mortgage lending right now is to really understand those pockets of opportunity. And they could be small pockets of opportunity. So certainly, you know, there's some overheated markets. Um, but uh, at the same time, in nationally, we're, we're anticipating pretty flat for home prices. So let's dive into the mortgage rate question, right? I mean, at the beginning of the year, no one would have thought that sitting here in October, we would be close to 8%. And in some cases, oh. I mean, it really is functionally 8%, um, you know, I think, I think all of the projections were based on really good things. I think the wild card was the Fed, right? We we didn't know what was happening there. Yes, and and that leads to the recent letter um, from Bob Brooksmith, our president and CEO of MBA, uh, basically pleading with the Federal Reserve for a little bit more transparency. So there are three things involved when it comes. It's important when we think about the rates right now, you have to talk about the widening spreads between the 10-year treasury and the 30-year fixed, which are about 120 basis points more than what we're used to seeing. So, you know, widespread. So why is there this widespread? Well, part of it is the conflicting economic data and conflicting messaging when it comes to the Fed in terms of what they're doing with the Fed funds rate. Are they increasing it again? Are they done? Are they not done? And so MBA is asking for just some transparency. Yes, no, just to stabilize, you know, stabilize markets a bit. And another important factor is um, during COVID, similar to during the Great Recession, um, the Fed was buying mortgage-backed securities and treasuries. So they had these mortgage-backed securities that were on their balance sheet. And you know, a few years ago, they announced that they were running off a portion of of the MBS and treasuries. 
but they really haven't been very clear in terms of where they're going in terms of the the selling off mortgage-backed securities. And that uncertainty is really causing that widening spread. So part of our ask at MBA is just, please, say you're not going to do it, you know? Say you're holding on to them. Say what you're doing. Um, and um, we think that that will, will help bring in those spreads. And then the third note that wasn't brought up in, in, in Bob's uh, particular letter, but it's important to, to understand, is just what's happening with the banks. If you think about Silicon Valley Bank, the whole crisis in March, whether banks are going to be able to hold loans in portfolio, mortgage-backed securities, whether they're going to be able to hold on to those because of duration risk and so forth, as, as well as potential changes in Basel. So that's another factor that just creates uncertainty. So MBA's ask right now is just for a little bit of certainty, you know, or else we'll have a very weak um, housing market that ultimately is going to hurt homeowners. I think that's the message that it feels like, at least from my perspective, I know you're the NBA, you know, you represent NBA, you can't say anything, but I can say it feels like the Fed and, you know, Logan Motoshami, our lead analyst has said, they mm-hmm. do not care about housing. They have been very clear there. It's fine for a housing reset, but I'm hoping that we're getting to the point now where it's like, seriously, how much do you want to break it? Right? Like how, how bad do you want it to get? And maybe sure. there's some hope there when we look back. In the spring, when there was a lot of outcry about DTI, I know not to the Fed, completely different, but that whole like, you know, the urgency rising to a level that people started paying attention in Washington. And I think this is, this is where it gets really difficult because we're not just talking about our industry, we're talking about the homeowners. Yes. And we're also talking about the historically underserved populations. So you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth. You can't break the entire mortgage industry and expect to um, meet your goals in terms of um, providing housing to Black communities, um, increasing home ownership to Hispanic communities, and so forth. Um, so can't talk out of both sides of your mouth. It's very tough, yeah. Something that um, I think has been made perfectly clear at the MBA convention is, is that we, we've got to fight this because ultimately it's the homeowners who are going to be affected. No, I'm, I'm really glad to see that kind of advocacy is what our in- industry needs right now because it can feel like they're being sacrificed, right? Mm-hmm. And for, for what? For the greater good of something, but it seems like a, maybe an, an old model of how inflation works. If they continue to have this uncertainty, if rates don't come down, to your point, the people who are ultimately hurt are are the parts that other, you know, that FHFA, that Fannie and Freddie, their duty to serve. It's like it's like the parts of the federal government are not talking to each other. I know the Federal Reserve has nothing to do. They don't have a duty to serve certain homeowners, right? Their duty is completely different from an economic standpoint, but it has this really real effects. Absolutely, Sarah. I couldn't agree more. And again, I think the comments from our our incoming chair and Bob Brooksmith speak to exactly what you just said. (laughs) This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire with Melinda Wilner, Chief Operating Officer at UWM. Melinda, what should independent mortgage brokers be doing right now to prepare for when rates do eventually come down? 
It's a great time to think about such an exciting time ahead. A couple things. One, focusing on scalability of their business, how to do loans more quickly and with even greater service. It's a great time right now to really focus on the experience with the borrower too and the referral partners, the realtors, the people that they work with today to get business, really uh, strengthen those relationships, but really a giant focus on how to give the borrower the best experience so that when rates fall, it's a no-brainer. Let's do this again. Let's get our rate lowered. And then thirdly, really just focusing on the business and building the business. So whether it's marketing strategies, how am I going to do things differently uh, when it's a refinance period? Um, How am I going to train better and quicker next time if they intend on growing and adding to their team? What are the things that I can do to make training more quickly and and easy in the future? So it's a really great time to think about. such an exciting time, but really important to think about and take the time to think about what's ahead. All great points. And listeners, you can find out more at uwm.com. So let's get into specifics on the mortgage rates and where we think they're going to be and and what's realistic to, to think about. Yes, our forecast right now for 2023 as a whole is 7.2%. That's our estimate for 2023. I'm going down to 6.1 in 2024 and then down to 5.5 in 2025. So that that's what we're looking at. Now, come 2025 and 2026, there could be some opportunity for rate term refi for the existing, those that are taking out a mortgage, for instance, uh, in 2023, late 2022. So there might be some, but we're, I don't know when we'll see 2.5% again, anytime soon. And that leads to implications, again, in terms of lenders and how they want to organize themselves, um, whether Consumer Direct can bring in purchase, for example, um, or whether, you know, uh, retail and broker wholesale models are better models for lead generation. So there are a lot of implications um, of that uh, in, in, in terms of rates not being anytime soon where they were in 2020 and 2021. Right. I mean, that is the reality. Um, you did you did mention servicing as we started this conversation. Let's talk mm-hmm. about what servicing looks like right now or, or how that can, you know, how that can help in this time. Sure, sure. Servicing is doing very well and it certainly is help, helping. The cash flows are coming in. When you think about debt outstanding overall. Right now, we're sitting at about $13.7 trillion in mortgage debt outstanding, whereas in 2015, we were sitting at about $9.9 trillion. So a lot more uh, uh, servicing fees um, overall. Um, and servicings are, servicing fees are based on loan balances. So when you think about service fee of 25 basis points over a higher loan balance, that translates into higher per loan servicing fees overall. Plus, we have very low delinquency rates right now. It's near 40-year lows for delinquencies. Um, We do see in our latest loan monitoring survey that actually just came out recently uh, that uh, there could be a bit 
of deterioration in terms of uh, performance overall, but still very, very strong. Uh, we'll have to wait till November till our third quarter national delinquency survey results come out um, to see whether we move from those 40-year lows to a different place. But we are anticipating a recession in the first half of the year. And uh, do, uh, that, that is in our forecast still. Um, and so given the recession, if you think about delinquencies being so closely tied to our unemployment rate, uh, we could potentially see increases overall. But at the same time, there's a lot of equity buildup. So not only are there options even post-COVID in terms of forbearance and in terms of loan workouts. But with that equity buildup, that presents additional foreclosure alternatives to uh, homeowners altogether. Especially when you think about, you know, the, the demand that you're talking about. So very different than, say, 2008, 2009. It's like if, if you did have to sell your home before going into foreclosure, you would likely find some really willing buyers and, you know, maybe avoid the whole foreclosure process itself. Yes. And, and the key is to, again, contact your servicer, make sure there's those communications going because you don't want a situation as a servicer whereby you go through a, a whole foreclosure process and it turns out there's equity in the home, right? Um, and so it, it will involve some additional communications with borrowers for sure. Uh, to make sure they are aware of um, all the options available to them. So, well, that's good. So, is servicing, in your opinion, the silver lining we were talking about? Servicing is one silver lining, but we really haven't talked about production margins um, in terms of mortgage lending. And so, yes, servicing right now is the silver lining. Um, from an operational perspective, costs have really been contained. There is some net escrow earnings being earned right now, which we haven't seen in a while high per loan service fees overall. Um, so sitting, sitting well in terms of overall operational performance. But another silver lining, going back to production and just to, to give you a sense of where we are on the production side, based on our quarterly performance report data, we've had five quarters thus far of net production losses. Now that's an average though. One thing that I like to point out is if you divide up uh, uh, the lenders into, you know, their net operating income and we're talking or net production income. And we're talking about 350 independent mortgage companies in our sample. If you take the second quarter results, we don't have third quarter just yet. Wait till November for that. And you, you line up the net production profits at the 75th percentile there. It, it's 25 basis points. Meaning that 25% of those 350 lenders are making a profit of at least 25 basis points. Now, many of them ha are builder affiliates or they have builder JVs. That certainly is helping because the name of the game is, is new housing inventory again or, or housing inventory. But there are those that do not have those relationships that are managing to eke out a profit. So it's important to focus on the fact that 
regardless of how tough things are right now, there are companies out there that are managing to um, have a minimal profit. Certainly, it's below the averages, but they are managing to have a profit in really, really difficult times. And as I like to say, mortgage is not going the way of the Betamax or the Palm Pilot. It's not going away completely and being obliterated. So there will be the winners in this. Um, now, is there excess capacity in the market? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of excess capacity. Um, uh, we worked on a white paper, MBA research worked on a white paper last year where we tried to estimate um, the number of employees that would need to sort of leave the industry um, in order to get to a, a more normal balance in terms of capacity. And our estimate was 30%. Um, now, based on the latest data that's coming in from the Bureau of Labor Statistics and um, uh, NMLS data, Conference of State Bank Supervisors data, as well as our own quarterly performance report, we think we're probably about two-thirds of the way there. So, so there's a little bit the, more. What was the timing of the white paper like from when to when? Like what? Peak to trough. Okay. It's yeah. 30%. So in terms of originations, yeah, peak to trough is, is where we think things are. So, you know, unfortunately, we, we've um, moved out our rate path a bit. Uh, and I think most of the others who are in this business of, forecasting. I'm sure Logan did the same thing, moved things out a bit. So a little bit higher, longer, uh, which means there are probably a few more quarters of, of net production losses overall. Um, at the same time, you know, we did have a situation in 2020, 2021, where net production profits on average were in the triple digits. I mean, almost reaching 200 basis points in one quarter. So, you know, prudent financial management, the reason why we can have a period of time with five quarters of net production profits is because there was that nest egg set up. I like to use the example of the recently just, it was just fat bear week in Alaska, I right? I love this. No, that's on my, yeah. I, I voted, yes. <laughs> you voted for Grazer? Or? Um, no, I, I voted for another one, but yeah. I, okay. It's, it's okay well, that Grazer won. For, you, for the audience who's not familiar with it, there's something called Fat Bear Week in Alaska and the National Park Service has a contest and bears need to fatten up for the winter when they go into hibernation. So they have a contest of all the bear eating their salmon, you know, which, which one gets the prize for fat bear week. Um, and in any event, it's, it's, it's an interesting analogy to where we are in the mortgage business, because again, in 2020 and 2021, we had those very, very fat margins. And so when you think, wow, how in the world can all these companies survive five quarters? Well, they were prudent. You know, they were financially prudent. They saved their cash. They knew that that, that uh, the originations couldn't stay at that high level forever. And so they were able to get through another quarter. But again, decision-making may need to take place in the next three quarters if, if this continues much beyond that, you know, because then at that point it will be 
two years worth of, of net production losses overall. So again, the key is in those percentiles to be in the higher percentile, you know, to, to be one of those 40% overall, 40% of the companies in our quarterly performance report managed to eke out at least some profit. Um, more so if you, if you include servicing, it's 58%, but you certainly don't want to be in that 42%, um, going forward for, for a period of eight quarters, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of that. For, so first of all, thank you for bringing Fat Bear Week into the <laughs> podcast. I love this. This has been on my, uh, uh, it was on my home screen. Phone. But aside from that, um, it reminds me that in the middle of the boom, right? In the middle of 2021, and even at the beginning of 2021, we had some opinion writers who were like, listen, don't go buy that new car. You're a loan officer. You're a real estate agent. The last thing you need to do is run up your expenses because this is not normal. And, you know, if you've been through a couple cycles, you know, this is the time that you have to be prudent because it's not going to last forever. Right. And we know that a lot of people did that. We also know that there were mortgage companies who were proactive at the beginning of this, who saw the projections and sadly laid off early. But in the set, in, in one sense, it's like, a smart move to get in front of that so that the production costs, you know, are at least they're mm. not, they over capacity. And so it's, it's sad for all of us. Nobody wants people to be laid off in this industry. No. Nobody wants to see capacity cut, but it is, you know, you give these updates for a reason so that people know how to plan. Exactly. I wish it were better news. I, I much prefer giving my annual presentation two, three years ago. <laughs> Although it was on Zoom, I think then that wasn't so fun. <laughs> right. Well, thank you for giving us the, you know, straight talk and for all that you guys are doing to help people through this really, um, you know, critical time. But we also know that this is when some companies are made and when some people are going to figure out how to grab market share. So we're, we're watching that pretty closely. But Marina, thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.